always like to jump up here on the tail end of that applause, you know. As a singer, what it is, our youngins that are going to children's church, we're going to give a moment for you to be making that way while you open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you would, and find verse 109. Psalm 119, verse 109. Beautiful song right out of Scripture today, the Lord's Prayer. I'm so grateful for that. How y'all doing today? Good, good deal, good deal. Psalm 119. Verse 109. It's been a great time of worship already, aren't you? That little chorus, Holy Spirit rain down, will always be special to me because it was during the beginning days of the pandemic we've been dealing with for almost a year now, during those early days where we didn't know what was coming next, even though we still don't, we sure didn't then. There were many days that that chorus was very special to me spent some time right here in this worship center just me and Jesus and I know y'all are all grateful that no one else was here to hear that singing but I just poured my heart out to the Lord and said Lord I don't know what to do I don't know how to take another step I've never been to this place before nobody has in our lifetime so we definitely need the spirit of the living God to rain fresh on us we need a fresh anointing to be able to go forward from here to where God's taking us. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 109. If you found your place and you're able, would you stand with me? Now, honor and reverence to the reading of God's word. Psalm 119, verse 109. We're reading through verse 112. Here's what the word of God says. It says, My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, Yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus today that this day that we're gathered, God, that we've gathered together with one heart, one mind, one focus today, that we might worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, I pray today that you would use this poor, lisping, stammering tongue of this preacher today. God, that we might be able to show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we pray that the Son of God would be glorified today through the faithful proclamation of the word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week we began this stanza that began in verse 105 to verse 112 and we began talking about the power of his presence and we made it to through verse 108. We're picking up in 109 today as we continue talking about the power of his presence and how comforting, how reassuring it is to know that the Lord is with us wherever we go. I want to take just a moment just to kind of recap a couple of things that we talked about in those opening verses in order to give a lead to what we're going to talk about today. We talked about in verse 105 and 106 about the effective leadership that the Lord provides and how grateful we are for his leadership and he also uses us to provide leadership for others. Under that leadership we talked about the powerful illumination of the word of God, how he, his word is both lamp and light. We talked about the difference between the light and the lamp, how that the light gives general direction for our path, but how that the lamp gives specific direction, not just a general pointing of the way, but for each of us as individuals, specifically how we are to move forward in our relationship with God. So we talked about those things. We moved on to talking about the personal conviction that the psalmist had, that the Bible was the clear guidebook roadmap for our lives. And then we began talking about in verse 107 and 108 about the engaging lordship. We talked about the lordship of Jesus Christ and how the psalmist was very clearly engaged in his relationship with him because he knew he had real problems, he had real difficulties, he had real afflictions, and he knew that God would be real in all those situations. And we ended by talking about how the psalmist issued a cry for revival from discouragement. All of us have experienced discouragement in our journey. Some more than others, some more intense periods of discouragement than others. 
we all know what that feels like. We talked about how the Bible ministers to not just the outer man, but the inner person, fortifies the heart and soul. And it's the Word of God that revives us when we're discouraged. And we ended up by talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh, how that kept him humble, it kept him focused. It was an ever-present reminder of his own humanity and how that his strength could be made perfect in weakness, that God would be faithful through it all. So today we're going to pick up in verse 109 and we're going to begin by talking about how the psalmist issues a call for rescue from danger. We all know what it's like to be in danger. We've all either experienced it, we've read stories about it, someone's told us about intense periods of danger. The psalmist fully understood the need for the powerful presence of God due to the fact that he was constantly in danger. He was in a very vulnerable place. And because danger was ever-present around him, he had to stay focused on the Lord. You know, I talk to my girls a lot in the culture we live in. Young ladies by themselves sometimes. It ain't like it used to be, amen? They got to be more vigilant and caring. I talk to them about all these things to watch out for. I talk to them about not walking through the parking lot looking at your phone. How many of you told your daughter that, right? Be careful what's going around you. Keep your head up, pay attention, you know, and all these different things that we have to know because danger is always around. So as the psalmist begins talking here in verse 109 and writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he talks to us about in verse 109 how our fears are addressed. There's two ways I want you to notice that, and the first way is that he addresses our security. Here's what the scripture said. He said, my life is continually in my hand. Well, some other translations help us understand more fully what he's trying to say. One says that my soul is continually in my hand. Another said, my life is constantly in danger. Another said, I hold my life in my hand continually. And I like this one. My life constantly hangs in the balance. Well, I tell you, the psalmist knew how fragile his life was. We're reminded of that from time to time, and we've been reminded of that very much in the past year, how fragile life can be. The words of verse 109 that open that verse could literally read, my life is continually in my palm. And what does that mean? That means that his life is easily accessible. If something's in your palm, it is easily accessible. And because it is easily accessible, it is very vulnerable to the enemies who wish to destroy you. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand that very much. And due to the constant danger that's always around us, Many people are tempted to hold too tightly to the things of this world and spend their days or even waste their days just trying to play it safe. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know when God calls us beyond our comfort zone, and y'all have heard this around here, that there is no growth in the comfort zone and there is no comfort in the growth zone. You're either comfortable and stagnant or you're uncomfortable and you're being stretched for the glory of God. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, we read the story of two special friends. Those friends' names were Jonathan and David. <clears throat> it was a special relationship for many reasons. One being, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Two being that David was the human vehicle with which God used to deliver uh, Israel from the Philistines. He was just a shepherd boy that was just a runt. Nobody was really thought he would ever accomplish anything great. It's always a reminder to me when you look at little boys and little girls running around your church, you need to remember that you may just see a shepherd boy, but God might see a king. Amen? So he took this young shepherd boy from Jesse's house, the youngest of his boys, the least likely to do anything great. You know what he did with him? He delivered a nation. After that time, Saul became to be very jealous of David's popularity. But more and more, God used Jonathan to hinder Saul and to help David. And as he did so, they had such a close relationship that the Bible said they loved each other as their own soul and their souls were literally knit together. <clears throat> In 1 Samuel chapter 19, the story is being told how Saul 
is ready to do away with David. He wants to do away with him. He wants him done. But I want you to know somebody spoke up. That somebody being Jonathan, and he said these words in excuse me, 1 Samuel 19, verse 5. Speaking of David, he said, For he, David, took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about great deliverance for Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Here's what he's saying to his daddy. When God raised up David and gave him courage to do what you couldn't do, when God raised him up to deliver not just you but our entire nation, you rejoiced. And then he asked this question. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without cause? Listen to what he said again, speaking of David. He said he, he held his life in his hands. I told him in the first service, and only 80s kids would understand this, I call this the Old Testament version of hold on loosely, amen? He was saying to David, David did not have a tight grip on his life. He allowed himself to be accessible and usable, he allowed himself to be vulnerable so that God might use him to do more than he ever thought possible. Now, now, now hear me. There are many people today who have been saved by the grace of God, washed in the red blood of Calvary, cleansed of their sins, forgiven, born again, and headed to glory, but yet still are afraid to fully and completely sell their life out for the glory of God because you are afraid of what God might ask you to do. You say, I don't want to take on the giants. I don't want to do any of that hard stuff. I just want a smooth sailing, and I want to arrive safely at death and go to glory. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear me. That could very well not be the will of God for your life. And you could miss out on God's greatest blessings because you have chosen to hold tightly onto what you want to keep instead of staying open and vulnerable and accessible and usable for the glory of God. Hey, David had some real dangers. They were very real. The psalmist is speaking of real danger in his life. Can I say this to you? There are dangers in your life that are very real. But we must learn from the psalmist that when we are afraid, some people say, I'm never afraid. Well, I would differ on you that. I guarantee we're all afraid of something. We all find ourselves times of fearful. God's not saying it's a sin to be fearful, but he's telling us where to go when we are fearful. And when we are afraid, we must allow God to address our fears. Too often, we want to address our fears. Too often, we want to be right. And we want to do what we want to do instead of giving it to the Lord. There's a second part of verse 109. It's not just a word about being steady, but a word about being surrendered. He said, even though my life is very vulnerable, even though I am constantly in danger, here's what the psalmist said, Yet I do not forget your love. You say, why is that so important to us today? Well, let me take you back to the Old Testament days for a minute. In the Old Testament days, these words were even more important to them than we realize. Let me tell you why. In that day and time, only the priest possessed large scrolls that contained the words of Holy Scripture. Now, here's what you need to know. They did not have one on their coffee table. They did not have a copy of the Scriptures on their end table or their nightstand. They did not have one on a bookshelf or in the dash or the console of their car. They had to go to the place of worship and they had to listen to the reading of the word from the priest. Those who witnessed the public reading of Scripture, here's what they had to do. They had to listen very carefully, and they had to commit to memory what they heard. I like what Warren Wiersbe says. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring God's Word to remembrance when we need it. But we cannot remember what we have not heard and what we have not learned. The psalmist was taking risk, Wiersbe says, he says, just as we also have to walk through the minefields of this world, but he knew that the word would direct him. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear me today. 
There are many people today who are present for worship services just like this one all across this country and all across the world. There are many today who will come to hear the reading and the preaching of the Word of God, but even though they are in the building, even though audibly the Word is going forth, even though they hear it, they don't really hear it. Are you with me? Now I'm going to confess something I confessed in the first service. It's going to be a shock to y'all, and I'm the only one that's guilty of this. None of y'all ever did this. But when I was a student in school, the teacher would give instructions. I was in the room. I audibly heard what he or she had to say. But many times I heard it, but I didn't hear it. None of y'all did that. Just me, right? Many times a teacher would give instructions about assignments and give instructions about test taking and instructions about daily work. And you know where my mind would be? <laughs> On the practice field, thinking about Friday night, thinking about that blizzard with my sweetheart on Saturday night down at the Dairy Queen, amen? Come on, now y'all ain't that spiritual. Y'all did the same thing. I'm telling you, we all did. You know why? The teacher had to tell us more than once, had to tell us more than twice. It's just like the preacher. I'm here to tell you today, some of that, much of that happens today in the house of God. Many people show up to church ready to go when they get there. But if you notice, when you're in love with somebody, you don't worry about what time it is. <laughs> hey, hey, I told them in the first service, if you would ever told me when I was growing up here that there would not be a Shoney's in Oxford, Alabama, I would have laughed till I heard. I thought Shoney's was here forever. If you would have told me that the Quincy's would have been torn down, I would have cried. Because when, boy, I told you, when me and Miss Angie finally got serious about this relationship thing, I tell you, we went right past the Dairy Queen. We passed the blizzards. We went straight to Quincy's, and I got her some beef tips, and she ain't got over it since. Amen? <laughs> oh, listen, I didn't go in there to the Quincy's and say, hurry up, meet those beef tips. We got to hurry up. We got to hurry. We got to hurry up and get this date over with. No, time stood still. Why? Because I was where I wanted to be. I was in the presence of somebody that mattered to me. Oh, listen to me. Shouldn't it be that way with the Word of God? Shouldn't it be that way with the Son of God? Shouldn't it be that way with our relationship with God? Shouldn't we just get in His presence sometimes and just say, God, I don't care how long it takes. I mean, we just need to be like old Jacob. I'm not going to turn you loose till you bless me. No. We want to hurry, hurry, hurry. Everything has to be instant. I don't know about y'all, but when I go home to eat lunch today, if Angie told me this morning, said, you got a choice for lunch, I can either put a roast in the crock pot or I can microwave some bagel bites. Which one are you picking, Joe? Are you crock pot? Please, in the name of Jesus. If anybody rather have bagel bites, we have counselors after service to talk to you. <laughs> my word. No, 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 no. The food that you eat from a microwave is because you're running. But when you really want something good, you go to the crock pot. Now, look here. Now, Caitlin's got one of these pots called Instapot. Anybody got one of them? Woohoo! It makes crock pot quality food at almost microwave time, all right? So it's going to make me change my illustrations. But nevertheless, what's cooked in the crock pot tastes a whole lot better than what's cooked in the microwave. In our lives, many times we want God to microwave us to spiritual maturity when he goes, oh, no, 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 no. we got to get you in the crock pot and let you simmer a little bit. It takes time to be who God wants you to be. Oh, you need to come to hear the Word of God, to embrace the Word of God. And as you receive the Word of God and the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, you respond to it in a way that pleases God. Wow. Living in constant danger. It didn't cause the psalmist to stray from the Word of God. Some people get in danger and they run from the Word of God. They run from the house of God. They run from the presence of God. He didn't do that. He knew he needed God's direction. And can I tell you, you need God's direction. Because he was committed to saying, I'm going to remember the word. Oh, those people in the Old Testament, when the priests read the law, they, they, had to, they had to listen close. 
Oh, after the rebuilding of the walls in Nehemiah's day, they stood, Ezra stood up on a pulpit. And for six hours, he read all five books of the law. And the first five books of your Old Testament takes about six hours. And the people stood up the whole six hours. We have Baptists today stand for a two-minute chorus and they go, oh, God. Oh. You know why they stood up? Because they believed in it. You know why they kept standing? Because it meant something to them. And when they finished reading him, you know how they responded? Amen. They didn't say, oh, I'm glad that's over. They said, no, that is the word of God and I must live by its truth. Oh, our fears are addressed. But he also talks about our foes. Verse 110, he shows us how our foes are averted. They're kind of detoured. Why is that? because they lay a snare he said the wicked have laid a snare for me the psalmist was quite aware of his ever present reality his closeness of his enemies they were close they were always looking for him he knew they would resort to any means possible to get him to stumble or fall and let me just tell you the devil don't mind waiting he don't mind watching he will watch you he will wait on you it doesn't matter if he has to wait to the end of your life if he can find a way to cause you to stumble even in your latter days to destroy your testimony and destroy what legacy you leave behind he will wait for that Writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, 1, that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We know what sin is. Sin's what dishonors God. Sin's what's disobedient to God. What about those weights? I tell you, weights, lots of those things, we create them. Stuff we put in our life that God never put there. Stuff we expect of ourselves that God doesn't expect of us. Sometimes we live, and as pastors, we have to really guard our heart against this because there's a lot of unrealistic expectations of church members. I don't know if you know that or not. A lot of unrealistic, not only that, unbiblical expectations of pastors and church leaders. They don't understand some things about what you're really here to do. They just say, you need to do what the last 14 preachers have done. No, I've not come to do what anybody who's before me has done. I've come to do what thus saith the word of God and lead this church to get off the pew into the mission field and make a difference for the glory of God. Amen? That's what I believe. I mean, it's blazing a trail, boys. It's saddle up your horses. It's not just, let's just keep status quo. There's enough of that in this world. Psalmist knew that. What about those weights? We drag them around, they become snares to us. Book of Judges chapter 8, story is told of Gideon. You know Gideon, he was a bona fide sissy boy. He, he was scared of his own shadow. Wasn't sure he could do anything for God. But God took that old boy from where he was, hiding out down there in a hole raised him up, told him he was a mighty man of valor. When God got a hold of his life, he changed him from a wimp to a warrior, ladies and gentlemen. And when he did, he used him to deliver the people of God from the Midianites. And after he delivered them, the people came to Gideon and said, we want you and your boys to rule over us. And he said, no, he denied that request. said, we're, we're not going to do that. But I will tell you one thing you can do for us. We got this big garment we're going to spread out here, a big blanket type quilt, and we want to I want you to bring all the golden earrings that you got from the Ishmaelites. And I want you to place them on that, that quilt. And they did. They brought them. And they brought even more. They brought in great abundance, a heavy, heavy load. They brought necklaces and chains and everything else they could find of worth. And they cast it out there. And they brought it all in abundance. And here's what the Bible says in Judges 8, 27. It says, Gideon made it into an ephod and he set it up in his city. Wait a minute. He set it up at his place. And the Bible says that Israel played the harlot with it there and it became a snare to Gideon in his house. See, they had something that they placed more affection on and more attention toward than they did with God. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know in our culture today, you say, I'm not resurrecting a wooden statue or a golden calf. I wouldn't ever do anything like that. But I want to tell you, in our culture today, many people, many born-again people have allowed the weights of this world to come into their life and become snares to us and keep us from God's very best. You know what we often do? We often pass up God's very best for something we think that's just a little bit better. But always remember this. The, air, the enemy will always tempt you in the area of your appetite. I, I told him earlier this Friday, me and my girls, you know, when your girls get older, you know, they start planning on getting married and all this foolish stuff, you know, they get different, they get a different calendar. 
and you got to kind of coordinate with them. I don't like that part, do y'all? I mean, I liked it when they were like, you know, running around my heels and they come on. I mean, now it's like, now we got to coordinate with them. So their mama's birthday, and I told them, I said, look here, your mama's birthday's Monday, and y'all know how it is when you have a birthday on Monday, we get to have a birthday weekend. So I need y'all to pick a day so that we can spend time with your mama because I don't want her to have to hurt y'all, okay? So, so she picked where she wanted to go to lunch, and we took her to Firebirds. Going to get a witness on Firebirds, amen? Pretty good stuff. And uh, I tried to flounder pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. But on the way there, we stopped at this real spiritual place. And you, you need to go there. It's called Bucky's. <laughs> I, I told the mayor, I said, we don't need a love truck stop. We need a Bucky's. I mean, I'm telling you what, they had 42 flavors of icy. They even had watermelon. I mean, they had all this kind of, and I'm thinking, and you know what they got right in the middle of that place? Brisket. And we're going to eat lunch at Firebirds, okay? You know, and I'm trying to do better these days, and do y'all know how tempting that brisket was? I mean, they even put pickles and onions on it and sing little songs while they're chopping it up. I mean, they do everything in the world to tempt you to come. I mean, I literally heard that stuff calling my name, telling me to come and eat some of the brisket. <laughs> I mean, I thought to myself, I thought about my message for today. I thought, it's a snare. It's a snare. Just I mean, No, because I knew me. I thought, you know, I can't go to Firebirds with them and not eat, and I eat twice. That's going to be bad, and I'm going to have heartburn. It's going to be a bad day. No, ladies and gentlemen, the devil knows I like brisket. He knows I like that stuff, you know. And the thing about that kind of stuff is this. That may sound like a silly, funny story, but the fact of the matter is, is Satan knows what you've got an appetite for inside. He knows what motivates you, what moves you, what draws you. It may be fame, it may be recognition, it may be wealth, it may be attention. I don't know what it might be that you desire, but I want you to know whatever you have an inner desire for that might become a snare to you, the devil will supply opportunities for you to fulfill that desire. Guarantee it. We must respond the way the psalmist did. The psalmist said very clearly, I have not forgot your law. Then he tells us here the uh, word about how he remains steady. I've not strayed from your precepts. Huh. Straying's an easy thing to do. You know what you've got to do to stray from God? Absolutely nothing. Your inner man will, will take care of that. Your flesh will provide opportunity for you to stray. But here's what the psalmist said. He lived faithfully. Let me tell you how he lived faithfully. In open view of the world to observe his life. You know, personally, I'm pretty much an open book. I don't have anything to hide, and I don't have anything. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm the most imperfect person in this room. We've all messed up. We've all missed the mark. None of us are perfect, and I want you to know this that it takes just as much grace to save somebody from the gutters of Skid Row as it did this little girl, Karis, that came to faith in Jesus and was baptized today. God provides the same amount of grace. Amen? Aren't you glad to know that? And no matter where you've been or what you've done, grace will meet you right where you are. And we've all messed up. I'm as imperfect as anybody here. And I, but I want you to know that when we live the way the psalmist did, he's saying, I don't have anything to hide. You know what Charles Spurgeon said when they tried to come after him one time? They tried to come after him. They tried to make up stuff. And you know the enemy will do that. If you don't do anything bad, the enemy will just start making up stuff. The Bible teaches us that we should live in such a way that even when our enemy makes up stuff, that there's no grounds to prove what they're saying and accusing us of. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, you can write my testimony in the clouds for the whole world to see. I wonder how many of us would have that. I'm not talking about before you came to Jesus. That's all behind you. I'm talking about since you became to Jesus. How would you want your testimony to be written in the clouds? Well, here's what John Stott said. He said, nothing seems stable in our world any longer. Let me say this. John Stott wrote that a long time ago. Imagine what he'd say today. 
He said, insecurity is written all across the human experience. Christian people are not guaranteed immunity from temptation, tribulation, or tragedy, but we are promised victory over them. God's pledge is not that suffering will never affect, will never separate us from his love. God didn't say that suffering wouldn't affect us, but he said it wouldn't separate us. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He remains steady. The psalmist said, I have not strayed from your precepts. And can I say to you today, church, we can have the same testimony. Then notice when we find in verse 111, he talks about the exciting lifestyle that you can experience. You know, many people aren't excited about their life today. Have you noticed that? I've noticed, especially in the past year, there's been a lot of discouragement and a lot of bad stuff, a lot of painful things. But even before, many Christian people weren't finding stuff to be excited about. I don't know about you, but I, I'm looking more forward to heaven than I ever have in my life. I mean, whenever God's ready, I'm ready. I told him in first service, I said, I'm not going to run out here in I-20 and chase headlights today, but, but I mean, whenever he's ready, I mean, I, I, that would be a painful way to go. Man, I don't, I don't want to go through that, but I mean, I'm I definitely excited about where it all ends. He teaches us that we have a delightful resource in verse 111, and that talks about our destination. He said, your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. Let me tell you what these words do. These words, these words carry the meaning of looking forward to an eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance that the Lord brings and gives us joy in the heart of the child of God. Do you know obeying the word of God is not painful today? Some people say, well, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to have to give up so much. If I come up to Jesus, come to Jesus, I'm not going to get to go where I used to go, do what I used to do, hang with who I used to hang with, all this kind of stuff. And you're so worried about those things, but I'm going to tell you something that will help you today. If you're lost and undone without Jesus Christ and you are not a child of God and you're not that heaven will be your home, there's one thing that you will give up by coming to faith in Jesus Christ and one thing only, and that one thing is that you will no longer have to worry about spending eternity in an awful place called hell. That's it. You say, well, wait a minute. Will he change where I go or what I do? Listen to me. When he transforms you from the inside out, he changes you want to's. He changes the way you walk, the way you talk. I know a guy one day, he got saved, and he told me within just a matter of days that he lost 80% of his vocabulary. <laughs> I said, hey, God give you a new vocabulary, amen? Oh, listen, it changes all these things about you, changes what you do. Could it cause you a change in relationships? Listen to me. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are not better than your lost friends. Amen? Amen? You are not any better than someone out there that is lost and undone without God. You should do everything you can to show them the joy and the peace that relationship with Jesus brings and help lead them to faith in Jesus. But yet some will still walk away from you because you live by conviction now. Amen? And if they have to do that, you got to do like old Mark Colley used to sing. You got to let her go. Amen? Just got to let her go. You know why? Because even if you lose some things on this side, look what you're gaining by coming to Jesus. A better home, a better eternity, a better hit. You're gaining so much. He's worth it. He's worth it all. But you know, some, the psalmist, he knew something. He couldn't get over something. He couldn't get over the thrill the promises that God would bring to his heart. He couldn't get over the fact that God had been so good to him. I was telling earlier, I was in a funeral service recently, and one of the preachers before me was talking about folks who are always grumbling and griping and complaining. Y'all know some of those folks, don't you? I don't know if you live with them or not. I can't help it, but I'm just saying, all of us know somebody that's never happy no matter what happens. The preacher said he figured it was all because of this. He said, some of you, when you were born, and he delivered and you were delivered from your mother's womb and the doctor took you out and clipped the cord 
He held you up by your legs and spanked you on the bottom and you ain't never got over it. You still mad, right? Now there's some folks that are just that way. They're just not going to get over it. Well, that's in a negative sense, but in a positive sense, here's what happened with the psalmist. He's saying the truth of the word of God brings true joy to my heart and I just can't get over it. And notice with me in verse 112. He talks about a definite resolution. The psalmist makes a definite resolution. I know all these years of being a Southern Baptist, I've been to several conventions and there's always a bunch of resolutions. And some of them, I don't really know if they mean that much. I just think it takes up a lot of paperwork and a lot of time, but they always make a lot of resolutions and things like that. But the psalmist is making one from his heart here. Notice what he said. I've inclined my heart. It means I've leaned toward. I've leaned in. I've bought in. I'm all in and I'm all out. I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes. And I like what he said. Forever to the very end. Did you see that? He said, I, I'm not going to incline toward you as long as it's good. I'm not going to lean toward your precepts as long as you make me happy, Lord, as long as I'm, you know, as long as the church makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside and they sing the songs I like and the preacher leaves me alone, I'm all in. Now he's saying, I'm all in to the very end regardless of what's coming. Reminds me of one of my favorite movies. Have you seen the movie Miracle about the 1980 hockey team? Anybody with me? Just a little Baptist nod will do. All right, good, okay. Just want to make sure somebody knows what I'm talking about. The, the coach for that team, man, Kurt Russell played a great part. I'm a, and, and I thought, man, I like this guy. I don't know about y'all, but I did well with teachers and coaches that just told me the way it was. It didn't matter whether I liked it or not. Amen? It really did. We got to celebrate down here the other night with our state championship wrestling team and, and I was fortunate to be one of the first guys in 85 that was part of that starting and oh I wasn't any good I tell you I was there I never claimed to be good it was horrible but you know what I knew if I wasn't a good player or a good wrestler I could be a good teammate and you know what when the guys that were there back 35 years ago you know what we talked about not who won and lost but what it meant to be a teammate and how there's a bond that between all of us guys that we couldn't break. We shed a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And that's something that binds you. But the coach for the U.S. hockey team 1980, I remember this clearly because I remember watching the hockey match when it took place. And I remember when they were building up, talking about, hey, we're going to play the Russians, and they're really good. And if we beat the Russians, we get in the gold medal round. We could have a gold medal winning hockey team. First time, we haven't beat the Russians in a thousand forevers, and we got to beat the Russians because if you remember it was a very rough time in American history well, the coach began working these players out as he worked these players out the first thing he found out real quickly is he had a whole bunch of individuals he did not have a team as he worked them out, worked them out, he was having more and more frustration they couldn't get it right and then finally in one practice he just blew the whistle and put them all on one end and I don't know, I guess it's wind sprints. You can skate wind sprints or run wind sprints, but he just started going back and forth. He'd blow the whistle. They'd go down and back. He'd say again. He'd blow the whistle. They'd go down and back. And he kept blowing the whistle, and he kept saying again, 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 until they were just totally exhausted. I mean, they were dropping like flies. I mean, they were getting sick. They were doing all sorts of stuff. Even the assistant coaches were like, hey, you might need to back off a little bit. But you know, he knew what he was doing. You know what he did? He had to do something that had never been done before so that his team could achieve a victory they hadn't experienced before. You say... Wasn't it painful what those players went through? Absolutely. But what were the results? The results were a win over the Russians and a gold medal. I still remember Al Michaels there on ABC Sports as the game was winding down and it was clear we were about to win. And he said these words, Do you believe in miracles? You know what? The miracle, call it a miracle if you want to, but when I watched the progression of that team, I'll tell you what made a difference was is they found out real quickly in order to get chief victory, some, everybody was going to come together and have one heartbeat. Let me tell you this for, your, for this church. 
We can't be a whole bunch of individuals with a whole bunch of ideas and a whole bunch of ideologies. We've got to come together with one purpose and one heartbeat and then therefore we have the ability to accomplish the will of God and bring great victory for the cause of Christ to this world even in this community when we do that. Sometimes it's painful but I want you to know victory is worth the price of pain. Always. You know what the resource of the Word of God should do? It should lead us to the resolution that the psalmist made that I will live for the Lord for the rest of my life. Well, I was thinking about something the other day, and I want to leave you with a couple of things here. I got two weeks, folks, to the big 5-0. I know some of y'all don't know me well or just shocked. Y'all thinking, he's not a day over 49, but uh, uh, <laughs> 59, I look like 69 sometimes. <laughs> By the grace of Almighty God, if I live to the end of March, I celebrate 35 years of preaching the gospel. 30 of those years, God has allowed me to either be a student pastor or a pastor. 28, working on 28 as a pastor. About three or so as a student pastor, I learned real quickly that students were not my calling. I didn't want to go to prison. You know, I didn't need to, need, need to move on. No, I love students. I do uh, from a support role. But it, <laughs> I, I learned a lot about that. Some would say this. Well, you know what? You're about ready to go out to pasture. Your best days are behind you. It's, it's all downhill from here. But I want you to know what the Word of God challenges me to do, what the Word of God reminds me every day is that I still believe the best is ahead. I still believe that a great revival is going to come out of the pain of this pandemic. I really do. I began to see more and more how people, I, just, I really began to see how God has worked through this. I haven't been able to trace his hand. I'm just learning to trust his heart. And through it all, I'm seeing, I really believe our best is ahead. I believe our best days of ministry and mission are ahead of us. I really do. And we cannot look back saying, oh, it's all downhill, we're done. And by saying that, I want to remind you that what you do you need to do with joy. And you need to be excited about it. Amen? I mean, I see folks get excited about some things that within five seconds, the significance is over. But I'm talking about eternal things to be excited about. I read this week, David Jeremiah, if you read the book forward, you read about this. But he talked about in the country of Sweden that... They needed to do something to help build some morale among the citizens. And they were also concerned about people's physical health. So here's what they did. Where the subway stations come through, if you've ever ridden one of those, you know it's underground. And to get off of it, you've got to come up the steps back up to street level. They found that so many people were taking the elevators and very few people were taking the steps. And they thought it'd be a really good thing health-wise if people would take the steps and get some more walking in and all that kind of little cardio. So here's what they came up with. They decided that they would fix the steps so that each step played a musical note. And, and people literally would get off the thing and bounce back and forth between the steps and play little tunes. I don't know, they play a Mary Had a Little Lamb or go rest high on the mountain I don't know but they were playing songs and here's what they determined they kept up with the numbers and since they installed the musical steps the numbers of people who began to take the steps instead of the elevator went up by 60% you say what's the big difference there the big difference was is they found something to get excited about uh, the Swedish people thought hey this is good because you know less stress on the elevators people getting healthy and, and people seem to be more joyous music has a way of motivating us doesn't it but here's what David Jeremiah said in response to that and I want to leave this with you today he said life is an uphill climb somebody say amen to that right life is an uphill climb
And God isn't likely to take you to heaven in an elevator. But imagine the music of heaven playing with every forward step as you ascend into the future that God has for you. Your spirit should always keep moving forward, dancing to the music. I know that didn't bless y'all as much as it did me, but I really like that. He, he said, as you move forward in this journey, think what a song your life is playing. I like what Casting Crowns, that song from about 15 years ago, Let My Life Song Sing to You. He's saying, your song is, your life is writing a song between now and eternity. He said, and just think how much joy it will bring to you and the joy that it brings to the heart of God as you walk through this uphill climb, dancing to the music. You know, I think it's time for Christian people to enjoy being a Christian again. Amen? I know some folks think crazy, you know, say, golly, boy, folks clapping, celebrating that little girl being baptized. I knew, I knew that radical preacher would mess them up. <laughs> but, but hear me. There, there's not a thing in this world wrong with celebrating. Not a thing. And if we will celebrate minuscule things of this world and not celebrate a transformed little girl who's going to do great things with her life and bring great glory to God, something's wrong with us. You know, I... I, I I'm not a real mean person, but I do got a couple of mean spots along the way, and you do too. I've got a good friend. I've told y'all about him. His name's Gary, and um, he's the guy I told y'all about. That you know, man, he came to church and looked like he, he was rough, and he came up forward. He said, man, he, I never will forget him. God transformed his life. He's been a dear friend to me, and he still is. But he is a bona fide Georgia Bulldog fan. See, see something not right about his heart, right? But anyhow, so the other day, I always wish him a happy 226. And Bama fans, you know what that is, right? And he, well, what are you talking about? And he had to Google it. <laughs> but anyhow, I said, Gary, it was second 26 when Tua threw the touchdown to beat y'all in the national team. You know, but anyhow, I do have a mean bone every now and then, right? And he just, he ribs at me all the time. And it's a dear, he's a dear friend. But he's somebody that really helped me understand to enjoy the life that God's put before you. It's time we get back to enjoying and celebrating what it means to be a child of God. It's time we get back to when we come to worship, we're not ready to go. We're ready to sit at the feet of Jesus. Let him speak to us and celebrate his victory over death, hell, and the grave. Amen? I'm telling you, it's time that the church starts celebrating what really, really matters. You pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word, Lord, and I want to thank you for how it ministers to my heart today. I want to thank you, Father, for reminding me that your presence is really all we need. And all the things that we put so much stock in in this world will matter so little five seconds after we're gone. But the things you've done in us and through us will matter to all eternity. Father, today, maybe someone today came with no joy. Maybe they came discouraged. Maybe they came heartbroken. Maybe they came looking for the light. And God, I pray that through your word, they have found encouragement and direction. I pray, Father, for those that came today that just haven't had much joy lately. Maybe the cares of this life and all the pressures that we're dealing with have sapped a lot of their joy. And maybe they haven't had much to celebrate today, but when they came today and they witnessed Karis' baptism, when they came today and heard the songs, Holy Spirit rained down. 
Oh, when they heard the Lord's Prayer put to music, God, maybe through those things and maybe through the word that we've read and the gospel that we preach, there's been some encouragement, some joy brought back to their heart. Father, I'm convinced and persuaded to believe that there's not a problem under the sun that your word doesn't give us guidance to overcome. Father, it may be in the crock pot. It may take a while. We may have to simmer through it. It may get hot. Water may get to boiling. But Lord, I am persuaded to believe that you are always faithful. Father, I pray today as we prepare to depart this place in the next few moments that whatever needs are among the people in this building today or those watching online, that they will find the peace and the joy that they so desperately need. And we know that it's found in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray it all in his name today. Amen and amen. Hey guys, I want you to look this way just a minute or two before we dismiss. I want you to remember moving into this week, but before we talk about that, take the perforated section from your uh, worship guide. And if you've got any prayer requests, any praise reports, if you've got anything that we can help you with, if you've got a question about anything you've heard, question about ministry, uh, if God's dealing with your heart in any direction, you need somebody to talk to, I'm always here. I don't ever leave till the last person's gone. But if you just need someone to call you, contact you, please leave us that information. There are buckets at both doors. Church family, I encourage you to be faithful today. Let's, enter, let's end this month strong. Let's have a great day of giving today so we can end faithfully, continue to do all the things that God is calling us to do and using us to do. So don't forget those things. It's very, very important that we do that. Pray for uh, this Wednesday. I want to encourage you, if you're not coming on Wednesday night, uh, 6 o'clock, adults we meet in here, 6 o'clock for children also, and 6.30 for our students down in the cave. So do remember that for Wednesday night. Kind of something, always been something to help me get through because there's a lot of stuff happens between Sundays, amen? And we all need help to get through. Don't forget also, I'm sure I, rem I'm sure, I know it's in the first service, I can't remember, but all of our, any of your leftover uh, Christian literature, Sunday school books, devotionals, whatever it might be that you want to donate that we're picking up, taking to the distribution center in Decatur, that's been a great ministry uh, for years, and we're fortunate to be able to start partnering with them. There'll be a box out there for you to do that. Do continue to pray for our partners in Salt Lake City. They're experiencing some good things. We're getting together at the team to send out from last year's bunch that didn't get to go. We'll be announcing more about that in the coming weeks. But you begin to pray so much because the opportunities are endless for how we can touch folks there in that area who desperately need the gospel. Before you go today, I don't want you to ever forget, you know God loves you, and I hope you know that I love you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. Have a great, great Lord's Day. Leaning on the everlasting arm.